You are listening to a podcast from Vineyard Church of Augusta. For more information, visit vineyardaugusta.org. Yeah, my name is Roger. I'm the associate pastor here. I'm excited this morning. I'm bringing to you guys the second uh, message in our Life Shared series. And, and before we do that, would you guys pray with me? I know we just prayed over the offering. We're going to pray over the Bible this morning that God would open up our eyes and ears. God, we come to your scriptures this morning thanking you for them. God, thank you for this uh, wonderful, mysterious book that you have given to us, that's been handed down to us, that through it we can know you little by little, that through it we can understand ourselves little by little, that through it we can see how it is that you are at work in this world and how it is that you have invited us to participate with you in your mission in this world. And, and, and we just humble ourselves right now and say, God, would you give us ears to hear? God, would you give us eyes to see? Would you soften our hearts this morning um, to receive just whatever it is that you have for us? God, I pray for every single person in this room, every single person on Facebook Live, um, anybody listening to this on the podcast in the future, that you would just have something uh, specifically for each one of those people um, that you need to speak into their hearts today, God. Let us hear you. Pray that your voice would be much louder than my own today. Hmm. Amen. Amen. So uh, we're going to jump right into reading some Bible today. And I'm going to read this passage to you first. Um, this is going to be from a version that maybe you're a little less familiar with. Um, if you've if you got your like, app out and you're going to try to like, find it, um, you're, you're not likely to find it. Um, but you can just listen to this. All right? this, is from, this is from a version called the NCRV. Anybody ever heard of the NCRV? Probably not. It's probably only my wife. This is the new cynical Roger version. <clears throat> I'm glad you're already laughing because somebody was going to be offended by this. This is what the new cynical Roger version says. This is the very beginning of the book of Acts. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the employees he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the business plan of God. On one occasion, while he was on a coffee break with them, he gave them this internal memo. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the bonus my CEO promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John commissioned with water, but in a few days you will be commissioned with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the religious industry to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the CEO has set by his own authority, but you will receive a new marketing strategy when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my salesman in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And all God's people said, not amen. No, not at all. Not at all. You fell for it. We'll pray for you later. Now, this is clearly tongue-in-cheek, right? This, 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 really, this tells you a whole lot more about me than it does about this passage, right? Even if you're not familiar with this passage, if you don't even know much about the Bible, hopefully something in that you're, you're like, that doesn't sound quite right because it's not. And it does. It reveals something about me and about what, what, how I read passages like this sometime, if I'm being honest with you. We all come to the Bible with some kind of lenses on. 
right? We, we come to reading the scriptures with some kind of glasses on that, that either help us read it more clearly and accurately or, or else maybe skew our impressions that we get from it. Now, here's what this will tell you about me. And, and this is weird, and if I'm honest, this is a slightly shameful thing to, to admit about myself. Um, I suffer from what medical professionals call um, the heebie-jeebies. It's a diagnosed thing. And really, it's a very specific form of heebie-jeebies. Um, I, I'm, I'm immensely weirded out by two, only two things on the entire planet. Just, like, I'm fine with snakes, right? I'll pick them up and play with them. I'm fine with cockroaches. I'll swim with sharks when I ever get the chance. You know, I, I, I want to do these kinds of things. But there's really only two things on planet Earth that give me, like, the, that uncontrollably uncomfortable feeling of the heebie-jeebies. And the first one is this. Spiders. I just, I just can't. I even tried Googling pictures of spiders, and, and I couldn't do it. I, I could not put a picture of an actual spider. So this is from Etsy. You can buy this junk on Etsy. Can you believe that? <laughs> even that's just wrong. The beads, like the beads, they're staring at me right now. All right? So one is spiders. Number two thing that gives me heebie-jeebies is this. A salesperson. My wife can attest to this. She refuses to go anywhere with me where there's like salespeople involved, right? When we needed to buy a new car, I refused to go to a dealership. I'm not going to do it, right? I was like, please, can we just do Carvana, right? I am so much more comfortable with computers. We found the middleman. We went to CarMax, right? And they won me over right away as soon as I sit down with the guy. And he's like, look, I don't get any commission at all from this. I'm like, you're my friend. I will buy a car from you. Um, and, and what this does is, is I just get, I get super weird and awkward, right? And I don't get awkward with anybody, but spiders and salespeople do it to me. And here's the thing. You know, Pastor Reese last week in the, at the beginning of his sermon uh, invited us to do some word associations, right? And how we would respond to them. And the last word that he landed on, does anybody remember? Quiz time. Event, you can't say Mary Margaret, you know. Yeah, not church. Good, good guess over there from the left side of the room evangelism, right. He said this word evangelism. And if I'm honest, my challenge when it comes to the word evangelism or, or Bible passages like Acts 1, right, that talk about evangelism is that I start feeling like this means that I need to be some sort of salesman for Jesus. Does anybody else feel that way? Do you guys feel this way? If you don't resonate with that, then the rest of the sermon is not going to help you at all. But, but if this feels, if you feel like this too, right? Then, like, then maybe this will help you, right? I feel like I'm, I'm expected to have some slick elevator pitch for Jesus, you know, that I'm supposed to like close the deal in 90 seconds, or, or like I'm supposed to have some sort of airtight responses to all the objections or questions that somebody might have about our faith. Um, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm a salesman because I'm trying to convince someone to pay a really high price for something that they don't really think that they need, Right? Now, if they realize they need it, that's a different story when it comes to Jesus, but, but I don't often feel this way. And this is my challenge when it comes to this. But if you can identify with that, I've got some good news for you guys today, is, is that evangelism is not a strategic marketing plan. It is not a strategic marketing plan. Is that evangelism, telling the good news, is simply telling the truth about the good that we have experienced with Jesus, Right? So I want to get this in your head, right? This is the definition we're working with today. Evangelism is telling the truth about the good news that we have experienced with Jesus. Now, we're going to read the real Bible. You guys ready? And by real Bible, I mean, of course, the New International Version. 
It's a joke. I happen to like it. It makes a lot of good sense to me. Read whatever you want. Except for the NCRV. I do not recommend that version. <laughs> so here's, here's, here's the way that Luke actually writes this at the beginning of the book of Acts. Um, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead, open them up with me, read along with me, or you can just listen to it again. So here's what he really says. In my former book, Theophilus, uh, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father is set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And these are two words right here that I want to unpack this morning, right? One being witnesses, right? We are not salespeople for Jesus. He calls us witnesses. And the other, it's not the strategic marketing plan of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. So first, let's talk about witnesses, right? The role of the witness is to tell their authentic experience. This is what the word witness means. This is great. Sometimes we get words in the Bible that like they're very churchy, religious-y sounding words that we don't really normally use in everyday life. But witness, we use this word. This is just a fairly common word. It's, it's a legal term, right? Witness, even in our culture today, just as it was in the first century, a witness is a legal role, all right? So think about this for a minute. The, the witness is the one that we would find where? In court, right? In a courtroom. I know none of you know anything about that. I've been there because of speeding tickets. That's it, I promise you, right? And speeding tickets that I didn't even get. Speeding tickets other people got that I somehow got framed for. That's another story for another time. Does not pertain to this. Will not help the sermon whatsoever. The witness is the one in the courtroom who does something really, really simple. They give honest authentic testimony to what they've seen. That's all the witness is supposed to do. If the witness does that, they get a high five from the judge on the way out. Good, you did what you're supposed to do. The witness is not the prosecutor. Sometimes we as Christians think we're the prosecutors. The, the, the witness is not the defense attorney. Sometimes we feel like as Christians, we're supposed to be Jesus's defense attorney. He hasn't asked us to do that. We're not the judge. We're not the jury. We're not the one who bears the responsibility of convincing anyone of anything by any way of argument or persuasion, right? We're not the one who bears the responsibility for the outcome of other people's decisions. The witness is the one who simply stands up in front and says, this is what I saw. This is what I heard. This is what I experienced. This is what I know to be true. Now, it's important when we're, when we're talking about any testimony, this would be true in a court of law, and this is certainly true when we're talking about the good news of Jesus, it's important that our, our, our testimony be authentic, right? It has to be rooted 
in, in our own actual story. It has to be rooted in, in our own actual experience with Jesus, right? In a court of law, we know this. A witness cannot give authentic testimony to someone else's experience, right? They don't want to know what your buddy saw. They want to know what you saw, right? They don't, they don't want to know what your girlfriend heard. They want to know what you heard. And this is the same with Jesus, right? This is why the world needs many, 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 many witnesses for Jesus. The world doesn't need, here's what the world does not need, guys. And I believe this. I believe that Jesus Christ is the answer for the whole world. All of our hot mess that we got ourselves into and that we keep getting ourselves into, it's got to always come back to Jesus. I'm banking my whole life on that, all right? But here's the thing. The world doesn't need millions of people who all try to walk people through the same formulaic sales pitch for Jesus. It just doesn't. I don't, I don't think anybody's really interested in that. Now, there's, there's been some merit over the years to certain programs that would teach us, right? We have things like the Romans Road or the Four Spiritual Laws. But, but ultimately, when it boils down to it, what people need is millions of people telling their, their millions of unique stories about Jesus. That there's something about your experience with Jesus, there's something that you have seen of him, that you have experienced and heard from him that somebody else needs to hear. They don't need to hear other people's stories. They need to hear yours. This good news means that the world doesn't need to hear abstract truths, but it needs concrete stories. The world does not need disembodied theology, but embodied experience. Does this make sense? The world is not interested in our theological ideas, but they're intensely interested in our stories. Go into your workplace this week and start trying to talk like disembodied theology and see how people lean back. Then the other day, go to some other people who are now not put off by you and start telling just stories from your life and watch them lean in. This is why John, at the beginning of his gospel, says, the, world, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The good news of God is incarnational. In lived bodies, real people. The word of God always wears flesh and blood and lives among real people in the real world. This is in the, in the truest sense that it's ever been true. This was true in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, but it continues to be true with us who Paul calls the body of Christ. This is a rabbit trail I could go off on, but I won't too long. But if we think about that Paul calls us the body of Christ, what that means is we are indwelt by the spirit of God, that we are somehow the physical representation of Jesus walking around incarnationally in the world. And that people need to meet him through our just incarnational lives as they hear his stories of goodness and grace. And in this sense, I think God's design for evangelism is meant to be the most natural down-to-earth thing we do because it just becomes kind of just who we are. It comes out of the natural state of who we are. Quick story for you. Um, in college, I was involved in like a parachurch, like campus ministry. I love campus ministries. Um, and this particular one was doing something super-duper cool. Um, <laughs> I don't know, I guess it depends on how you look at it. The super duper cool thing is, is us college students, in between the summertime, we would go to Daytona Beach where we would get menial jobs and, 
and work those during the day. And then at night, we would learn how to tell people about Jesus. And then we go out and tell people about Jesus. So I was a maid. I was a maid at the Holiday Inn for a summer. I was a broke maid at the Holiday Inn. I, I was not making much money. Like, I found fried chicken in the refrigerator, and I ate it, you know? Like, true, true. Now, so some of this was kind of fun. It's an adventure, right? But what would happen and where this rubbed against me, and I'm also a big authenticity guy, so I got myself in a whole lot of trouble, but, but they would have these classes in the evening where they would teach us the sales pitch for Jesus, right? And some of it was helpful. Like, I wouldn't argue with it at all. Like, it makes complete sense, right? Like, whether it's things like the four spiritual laws or the Romans road or whatever, all the myriads of things, it all makes sense. It's good. But they would look at me and say, this is how you're going to do it when you go out and you meet random strangers on the beach. And I'm like, no, it's not, right? Like, I'm not going to do that. I really was a punk. And they really did almost like kick me out and send me home. So this didn't paint me in a super good light. But I found that very, very difficult. I found it incredibly difficult. And we'd go out on the beach and I'd see all these friends and they would just go up to like whoever on the beach. You know, there's all like the jocks playing volleyball and the surfer girls and like all these people, you know, just like random families. And I just, I'm feeling awkward as heck. Like, I can't do this. I can't go interrupt somebody from a volleyball game and say, hey, you know, can I tell you something about Jesus? You know, like it just felt so freaking weird. And we'd come back and we'd gather and my friends would tell these stories about these amazing encounters they had. So for some of them, it was legitimately working right? But for me, it just, it wasn't clicking at all. And then we had this other night where um, we just, we had the night off. They gave us the night off because it was the 4th of July, right? It was the 4th of July. And, and they said, you get the night off, you just go hang out on the beach. Like people go crazy in Daytona. Um, well, all the time, right? That's just kind of, that's its middle name, Daytona Crazy Beach. And, and people like launch fireworks out over the ocean and like all this kind of stuff. So we're like, whatevs you know? So we're walking down the beach. We are not on the job, right? This was not one of those times that was like prescribed for this two-hour time span. You're going to go out and like tell people about Jesus. So it was not on our brains. We weren't going to go back and have like a share time later on, you know, and pray for these people or whatever. But we're walking down these beach and like people are going bonkers everywhere, right? And, and they're launching fireworks out into the ocean. And we're walking down the beach. And then I see this guy up in front of me, like this huge dude, like huge dude, no shirt on. He's walking down the beach kind of in front of us. Now, pause that story for a second. In high school, um, I was like the Bible kid, right? Meaning that like, I was just that nerd that would like bring my Bible to school and would just like read it between classes and things like that. I had lots of friends. I did other cool things too, but I was reading my Bible. And one of my other really good friends was in my art classes. I did, I did visual arts all through high school. And one of my other like good friends in those classes um, uh, was this guy, Justin, and, and Justin also liked to bring his Bible to school, except that his Bible was a satanic Bible. And so we would sit there in art class, and we'd like read our Bibles together, right? Just not together together, but like together. You know what I mean? He thought it was cool. I thought it was cool. You know, whatever. Look at us, you know? And, and we would talk about all kinds of faith things. Anyways, Justin being as interested in the cult as he was, also loved metal, which I also love heavy metal. And he was into this band called Danzig. Anybody know Danzig? Yeah, right? Right. Uh, headed up by Glenn Danzig. He was a former lead singer of the Misfits, whatever. Anyways, I didn't look up one of these pictures because I figured Reese might not like, might not like me showing you guys one of these pictures. But Danzig's artwork was characterized by this other artist named H.R. Um, Geiger. If any of you are familiar with the visual artist H.R. Geiger, lots of really demonic looking skulls and things. It's super cool. 
Anyways, so he designed all this artwork, and it'd be on the albums, and it'd be on the band t-shirts and things like this. So I knew H.R. Geiger, I knew Danzig, right? It's just what I do. And so I'm walking down the beach. I see this gigantic man in front of me, tattoos all over, huge back tattoo of a Danzig skull, right? Like with demon horns and stuff, you know? And I was like, sweet. So I didn't even think about it. I just, I left my friends. I run up right next to the guy and I'm like, hey man, sweet tattoo, right? I love Geiger and Danzig. He's like, oh, you know Geiger, right? That's cool. So we start talking all about like demon skulls and art and metal. And, and so I ask him what he's doing there. He tells me why he's down in Daytona. He says, why are you here? I said, uh-oh. <laughs> I'm in. And I just start talking about Jesus. And guys, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. There was no sales pitch. I didn't close the deal, right? But it was this natural moment where I just started telling him stories about what Jesus had done for me. And now I'm here working as a maid so that I can tell other people about (laughs) Jesus. God's design for evangelism is, is that we just tell our authentic experience. So then, if evangelism is telling a truth about the good we experience with Jesus, then here's the deal with the Holy Spirit. The role of the Holy Spirit is to transcend our human limitations. This is the whole idea behind Jesus saying, I will, power will come on you, and you will be my witnesses, right? Not just being witnesses on your own, but you're going to need some extra oomph to like get it done. As Jesus says this, we bring our stories, the Holy Spirit brings the power. The, the Holy Spirit power comes to, to empower his people to testify to what they have seen Jesus do. And often when we think about the power of the Spirit, we jump straight to the more spectacular, miraculous manifestations of the Spirit, right? Physical healing, signs and wonders, prophetic words. All that's legit. All of that is good. All of that it, it sometimes is very much a part of it. But primarily, I believe that it's actually with just telling our stories, Now, maybe for you, physical healing is part of your story, and that's part of what you tell people, right? Maybe at some point in your life, there were some signs and wonders or some prophetic word that was incredibly powerful that Jesus gave to someone else to you, right? And and maybe that's part of the story, but, but not primarily. It may be part of your story. It may not be. Before anything else, his power is just to given to us to be his witnesses, Again, to say, this is what I saw. This is what I heard. This is what I experienced. This is what I know to be true. And I think this is great because if, if there's any strategy that the, that the Holy Spirit is getting behind, he's putting his weight behind that kind of authentic storytelling, not the prepackaged sales pitches. Now, here's how I think that the Holy Spirit transcends our human limitations. And we got to recognize this, first of all. Like, like, maybe this doesn't feel like good news, but it is. Guys, you are limited, right? And until you become okay and accept your limitations, you're going to have a real hard time in life. And you're definitely going to have a hard time following Jesus and trying to tell other people about him, right? It's just, we're limited because we're humans. We're all limited in different ways, but it's part of who we are. So here's how the Holy Spirit, I think, helps us and transcends our human limitations by his power. First of all, if you're thinking about talking to people about your story and telling people at all the good news of Jesus, maybe you'll say, well, I'm, I'm too shy. Anybody feel that way? Like, I'm too shy. Well, the Spirit will give you surprising boldness when the time is right. Maybe you just say, I, just, I forget to. 
I just, I don't think about it. I start going about my day and I just forget to. Well, the Spirit by His power will remind you to do it when the time is right. You could, you could say something, this is often true for me, like it never works, right? It never works. Nobody ever listens to me. Nobody ever comes to Jesus. Well, the Spirit will free you from feeling like their response is your responsibility because it's not. I'm limited. I can't make anybody make up their mind about anything. There's freedom in that. Maybe you say something like, I'm, I'm not very eloquent. I'm not good with words. I can't tell stories very well. Well, the Spirit empowers you to tell just the right story in just the right way to just the right person. He'll do it. Maybe if you're honest, you say like, I just don't like people. Maybe this is why you forget them, right? I don't like people that much. I don't feel like interrupting their day to try to tell them about this, right? Well, the Spirit empowers you to love people the way that God loves them. He can empower you to see them the way that God sees them. Maybe you're really new to this faith thing. Maybe you don't know much about Jesus. Maybe you would say, I I just don't have that much experience with Jesus. I don't have a lot of story to tell. Well, the Spirit will empower you to tell the stories that you have experienced, just what you do know. Maybe you say, this is one of of the favorite ones that people say, right? It's not my gift, right? This is like people in church that say, oh, I, I can't help like vacuum or anything. Like service is not my gift. I'm like, no, selfishness is your gift. That's it, right? This is a tough one, guys, seriously, because I'm honest, I will tell you, evangelism is not my gift. I have never seen a whole lot of fruit of evangelism come. Some people are. It's crazy, you know? They just like walk into a room and people just say, come to them and say like, hey, will you tell me about Jesus, you know? But if you say it's not my gift, the Spirit will remind you that it is not about gifting, but it's about loving Jesus so much that you just can't help but talk about him. Maybe I'm completely ungifted, but I'll do it anyways because I just can't help myself. The Spirit, his power is given to us to transcend our human limitations. And this is why today's sermon is called You're Invited, right? It's about invitation and it's for this simple reason because our Spirit-empowered storytelling has an invitational effect. It just does. You tell these stories and it will draw people in because this is what the Holy Spirit is doing. Now, when someone hears our our honest testimony about the good we've experienced in Jesus, they they have the option of two possible responses. And these might be vocalized. They might actually say them out loud to you. Um, They might be silent. They, They might be conscious of these in their mind. They might be totally unconscious. But there's two basic responses people will have. One, they will say, well, that sounds really good for you, but I don't really need any of that great story. Thanks for sharing. Or number two, they'll hear your story and they'll say, wow, that sounds amazing. Like, I want some of that. How do I get some of that? And the freedom of being a witness as opposed to the attorney, right, or something like that, is that someone's response to our role as witness isn't our responsibility. We can trust that if the Holy Spirit is empowering us to tell our story to someone, then he also has the power to to awaken a hunger within them that will draw them to Jesus. You just can trust that he'll do that. Now, sometimes we do get to close the deal, right? You ever had that moment where you get to sit down and someone's finally ready to say yes to Jesus? I've done it like twice in my whole life. Again, I'm not very gifted in evangelism. I keep trying. But most of the time, we're just moving somebody from point A to point B. 
you know, or, or from point J to point K or whatever it happens to be. Sometimes we get to be there right at the end and we're getting them to Z. Now, I want us to consider briefly two invitations then that people might hear through our stories. And I'm gonna need a little bit of crowd participation. If you've got your phones out, turn them on. Because the first invitation is inviting people to Jesus, right? Just to real relationship with him. But think about this for a moment. What difference has Jesus made in your life? Don't overthink it. But just like in in a simple sentence even, how would you sum up something about what difference has Jesus made in your life? I know there's, there's like a whole story behind it. Pretend for a moment you might not get to the story. What's like one sentence? Can you think of something? If you can, here's what I want you to do. I want you to text it to me. My number's on the screen. Bling. If you're on Facebook Live, go ahead, put it in the chat bar. It'll get to me. But in just like a sentence, tell me, what difference has Jesus made in your life? This is the awkward moment where I just wait. Here we go. And I won't, I won't embarrass you, so I'm not going like, to tell who you are, just so you know. People are like, I'm not texting him. He's going to call my name out from the stage. I'm not. Jesus gives me hope that the unknown will become known. Ooh, somebody might need to hear that. I should have turned my notifications off. Jesus made me a mom. Man, you know there's a story behind that. No longer fearful. In a fearful world, I guarantee, whoever that is, go tell somebody that story today. You know somebody needs to hear that one. Joy instead of sorrow. Jesus gives me peace. Restored joy in my life and makes me see miracles daily. He gives me peace in the midst of the crazy. Understanding what unconditional love is unexplainable peace. Jesus has freed me from insecurities and self-doubt and given me confidence in being loved and accepted. He has brought peace in many troubled situations and difficult decisions. Jesus showed me kindness and acceptance when the world did not. Jesus is my provider when there's no other way. You guys are gonna make me cry. Stop texting me now. Saved my life and gave me a purpose to live. Restored relationship with my mom. If your mom is in the room, I hope she's texting me right now too. A greater love for people. Deliverance from sins, no more shame. I'm happier and don't want to kill myself as much. Guys, you're bearing witness right now. You guys hear the gospel? You guys hear the gospel right now? You guys are doing my preaching for me. This is it. We just tell what we know. This is what I've seen. This is what I've heard. It's beautiful. Notice how powerful 
just these short statements are. Imagine if we had time to let all these folks come and tell the fuller stories behind them, right? Keep sharing that stuff. That's what you were made to do. Now, the second invitation that we often hear is, is first of all, we're just inviting them to Jesus to to experience him one-on-one, their own, right? The the other thing is that we we tell stories about contexts that invite people to, that that they might counter Jesus in, right? That is, we, we invite people to places where we have encountered him ourselves. So this is why we invite people to Sunday church services, right? Because we just know this is a place where I've experienced him right? Or we invite people to like fun fellowship events. We're inviting them to V youth stuff, V kids camps, right? And this morning, I want to think for a moment about we're inviting people to small groups. Today's our big day for small groups. If you guys see anybody with a neat little sticker on them, it's because they are either a leader or an apprentice in a small group. You should ask them about their small group, right? But again, this is another place where a context where we experience Jesus and the difference that he makes in our lives, uh, now, we're not going to do this one live, but, but I asked a bunch of our small group leaders, and, and I put it out on Facebook. So a bunch of other church people, you guys commented, and a bunch of just other friends that don't even go to our church commented on this question, very similar to our first question about what difference has Jesus made in your life. I just asked, uh, what difference have small groups made in your life? And just listen to a few of what these have said. Again, this is bearing witness. This is just giving testimony. One person said, small groups, both within and outside the church, have been the context within which I've been able to grow in my faith while at the same time walk and encourage others with growth. Sharing ideas, prayers, support, and friendship with both laughter and tears have served to help me weather the tough times like cancer surgery and to celebrate more fully the good times, marriages, grandbabies. I don't believe God intended for us to go through life alone, but rather with a family of Christian brothers and sisters behind. Another person said, I am a fierce introvert, extremely independent, and love my alone time. But each trimester, I think of my small group as my family within the larger whole of the church community. I count on them to show up for me, ask me thoughtful questions, see me when I feel invisible, support me when I'm struggling, and celebrate with me when great things happen. In the brightest and darkest times of my life, the individuals in my small group were the people to text me, call me, pray with me, walk with me, cheer me on, cry with me, bring me meals, and watch my kids. It's the very best way I've experienced the incarnation of the body of Christ, and I never want to be without one. Another one, we joined a small group within a month of coming to the vineyard almost 10 years ago. Little did we know those people would share the best and worst year of our life. For me, it was a tangible way to grow deep roots in a short period of time. It's doing life together and all the beautiful mess that entails. Another one, small groups taught me that it was okay and even normal to ask questions and have uncertainties about my faith, and that being uncertain and asking questions doesn't mean you aren't faithful, doesn't mean you don't love God, and doesn't mean you aren't a good Christian. Yeah. One more, small groups taught me that I don't have to be normal for God to love me. I so badly want to ask this person what they even think normal is. I don't have to be normal for God to love me. It taught me that my identity is not wrapped up in what others think of me or what they have done to me. Small groups is where the mess in your life can be cleansed and you become beautiful like you were meant to be. 
Another one, it taught me that I didn't have to know a lot about God or Christianity to be loved by God or to love him. I didn't have to go and read the whole Bible, but simply have a desire to want God and to want to learn more at my own pace. Small groups taught me, another person says, that following Jesus is more than just private spiritual disciplines. They taught me to be open to others' journey of faith and to allow others into my own. This is a person who I know is also probably what the other person said is a fierce introvert. Here's a good one. Small groups have always been our lifeline, our family away from family, which is critical for a military family. You guys know what that's like. One person simply said, small groups gave me a sense of belonging. Another person said, small groups have taught me how to live authentically as followers of Christ in and out of one another's homes and lives, not just on Sunday mornings, and to realize that when crises hit, they will, we just don't know when, none of us has to face them alone. I actually think that connecting, praying, encouraging, sharing wisdom, sharing life frequently in groups of two or more are what church actually means, not just larger gatherings once a week. I agree with that. And one final one. Again, man, I love that these people are just preaching for me. It was in a small group that I first said out loud how badly I was suffering with postpartum depression. The women in the group physically scooped me up into their arms and surrounded me with prayer that night. It marked a big step forward in the healing process. I just encourage you guys, those of you who are already like signed up for small groups, just tell other people the stories about why those kinds of contexts have made a difference for you. Because that's where you've experienced this kind of good stuff that Jesus has given you. Evangelism is telling the truth about the good we've experienced with Jesus. This is what I saw. This is what I heard. This is what I experienced. This is what I know to be true. So again, Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Amen?